It's Minnesota Now. I'm Kathy Werzer. Our top story continues to be the weather. We'll get an updated forecast from Sven Sungard as the snow starts winding down, finally. Tomorrow is the one-year anniversary since Russia invaded Ukraine. Our Tim Nelson's checking in with his friend Brian Bonner in Ukraine about how things, how, how things have changed since then. A lot of businesses are closed today for the weather, but you can usually expect a truck stop to stay open through it all. We'll check in with a truck stop in Mankato about how they've been faring through the storm and what they've seen. In our Minnesota Now and Then segment, we're looking back on the story of a legendary Cook County sheriff and an escaped lion. You heard that right. You want to stay tuned for that one. Our sports guys, Wally and Eric, are back with the latest on high school state tournaments, twin spring training, Minnesota United, and a whole lot more. Plus the song of the day and the Minnesota Music Minute, and it comes your way after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. On the eve of the first anniversary of the start of the war in Ukraine, Russian President Vladimir Putin says his country will boost its nuclear forces. The announcement follows an earlier decision to suspend Russia's membership in a key nuclear arms agreement with the United States. NPR's Charles Maines has more from Moscow. In a speech to mark the Defender of the Fatherland holiday, Putin said Russia would replenish its conventional arms and strengthen its nuclear triad of intercontinental missiles capable of launching from air, land and sea. The move follows Putin's decision to suspend Russian participation in the New START treaty, the lone remaining nuclear arms agreement with the U.S. Moscow insists the future of the nuclear treaty now rests with Washington and its allies, reconsidering their military support for Kiev. As the war in Ukraine reaches the one-year mark, Putin has refrained Russia's invasion as an existential threat from Western powers intent on seizing Russia's historical lands. Charles Maines, NPR News, Moscow. Severe winter weather is knocking out power and prompting safety warnings across large sections of this country. NPR's Kristen Wright reports even areas of Southern California are on alert. Los Angeles is getting ready for a blizzard. The National Weather Service issued the blizzard warning for mountainous areas of L.A., Santa Barbara, and Ventura counties. That hasn't happened since 1989. It's a mix of heavy snow, strong wind, cold, and rain with possible flooding. The early weather arriving ahead of the blizzard caused a 20-car pileup and temporarily shut down a busy interstate. Kristen Wright reporting. Former attorney Alec Murdoch has taken the stand at his trial in South Carolina for the murder of his wife and son more than two years ago. He denies shooting them, but he admitted in court today to lying to investigators about where he was on the night of the killings. Once I lied, I continued to lie. Yes, sir. Why? You know, oh, what a tangled web we weave. Prosecutors argue Murdoch killed his wife and his son to attract public sympathy and distract from the financial crimes for which he is also facing charges. Revised figures are taking some of the shine off U.S. economic growth at the end of last year. NPR's Scott Horsley reports on the latest numbers from the Commerce Department. The Commerce Department says the U.S. economy grew a little bit more slowly at the end of last year than initially reported. Revised figures show GDP grew at an annual rate of 2.7 percent in the fourth quarter, down from an earlier estimate of 2.9 percent. Consumer spending was slightly weaker than first reported, while the nation's trade deficit was slightly larger. Weekly claims for unemployment benefits continue to point to a very strong job market. New claims were down again last week from an already low level. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. The Dow is down 170 points, or roughly half percent this hour. This is NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include BetterHelp. 
committed to supporting mental health through therapy. Clients are matched with one of 25,000 therapists and can communicate via video, chat, or phone at betterhelp.com public. Around Minnesota right now, skies are cloudy. It's still snowing in many places. Highest today, 0 to 10 above 0 in the north and west, 10 to 20 in southern and eastern Minnesota. At noon in Rochester, there's some light snow at 17. It's 6 below and cloudy in Moorhead. And outside Buford's Bar and Grill in Bertha, Minnesota, it's cloudy and 4 above. I'm Kathy Warzer with Minnesota News Headlines. The winter storm that's just pulling out of our region is the top story, and we'll get an update from Sven Sungard, our meteorologist, in just a minute. Roads were partially or completely covered with snow this morning from Grand Rapids south to the Iowa border. There were some pretty big snow drifts in southwestern Minnesota. MnDOT has just lifted the no-travel advisory on all state highways in south-central Minnesota, including Brown, Cottonwood, Jackson, Martin, and Watonwan counties. There's still blowing snow in those areas, though. I-90, most state highways in Nobles and Rock counties will reopen at 12.30 this afternoon in another half hour. MnDOT spokesperson Ann Meyer says snow removal will likely continue for days. You know, the snow will stop later this afternoon. We'll need a good 24 to 36 hours just to get roads really back in the clear. But we've got some extra snow now on shoulders, on bridges, uh, and areas that we might need to remove it just because we don't want things to pile up. It can be its own safety hazard if you have too much snow out there. So uh, we'll bring in the big equipment likely this weekend and really start to remove some of that snow off of the main lines. Drivers should look out for heavy equipment removing snow along highways and be prepared to slow down and change lanes to give them room to work. Excel Energy says it's restored power to most customers after reporting hundreds of homes and businesses without service earlier this morning in its Minnesota service area. As of 6 o'clock this morning, Excel reported just over 2,700 customers in the Twin Cities without power. That number was down to fewer than 100 at last check. It wasn't immediately clear if those outages were due to the winter storm or from other causes. In other news, the bill that allows people to get driver's licenses and IDs regardless of their immigration status will have to make one more stop on its way to the governor's desk. Because of some small changes in the Senate version passed this week, the bill has to go back to the House for a final vote next week. The DFL-led House is expected to then advance the bill to the governor for his signature. An estimated 81,000 people in the state could be affected by the change. And as I've said, we've almost reached the other side of this week's snowstorm, but there are still blustery winds to contend with, Arctic temperatures, and guess what? Another storm system for Monday. NPR News meteorologist Sven Sundgaard is here to break down the storm's biggest impacts and tell us what's next. Well, there was some belly aching earlier this morning, as you know, Sven. Uh, folks got up and <laughs> no, said, really? well, wait a minute, where's all the snow? I thought we were going to get 20 inches. And it's like, no, not really. However, some places came pretty close. Yeah, you know, and, and as we talked about yesterday, there was going to be this burst late in the night and early this morning, and it, it really delivered. You know, just between 6 and 7 a.m. this morning at MSP, we got two inches of snow just in that hour, and really from about 4 to 8 a.m., those snowfall rates were at 1 to 2 inches per hour, and, and the heaviest band set up over the south metro and that's where the totals are really coming in here at 19 inches in apple valley 17 inches though to the north in cambridge 16.9 in burnsville uh, there's a 16.7 inch report in northeast minneapolis also egan savage at 16 inches southwestern minnesota not to be left out 15 15 inches in slayton and picked up about a foot in the rochester area snow is still falling across parts of northeastern minnesota along the north shore where a few more inches could fall 
from Duluth and especially along the South Shore where the uh, northeast winds are really roaring. Uh, we're talking about waves over the Big Lake that are over 12 feet uh, here this this morning and afternoon. Well, that's pretty impressive. Say, uh, where then does this storm rank in terms of overall snowfall totals? That is the question still because we are still waiting for the official observation at the oh. Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. They do that about noon, so it should be coming any minute. I'm refreshing my screens like a lot of people. The guess is it's probably going to come in between 13 and 15 inches, and so that will really matter because 13 inches puts it back in the top 24 snowfalls, which would be the second top 24 snowfall we've had this season. And that's only the fourth time that's ever happened where we've had two top 24 snowfalls in one season. Uh, the first time that it's happened in 38 years. So it's still a big snowfall, however you look at it, whether you got a foot or you got the 19 inches, uh, definitely quite a bit out there. It is. and I'm, but, but I'm wondering, with all that activity that was happening yesterday around um, uh, Illinois, Chicago, uh, St. Louis, did that suck some of the moisture in that direction instead of having it settle over us? Yeah, it, it did kind of cut off the moisture. So we had the area of snow that had started to redevelop late yesterday afternoon that we all experienced. And then this wave we were watching out of Colorado, that was a tense band of snow that really filled in. And that's what gave us the burst early this morning. We were expecting that to fill in a little bit more. And had that happened, we would have been looking at even higher totals this morning that would have been more widespread totals that would have been over 15 inches instead of uh, the more spotty 16, 17, 18 inch amounts. Mm. Okay. So it uh, looks like behind this system, some pretty decently cold air. Yeah, brief shot, but potent cold air. It's been below zero every morning this week in northern Minnesota, and now it's the rest of the state's turn. That's what's going to be moving in. So northwest winds blowing that in. Probably low 20s below zero in northwestern Minnesota early tomorrow. Even in the Twin Cities, single digits below zero, teens below zero in northeastern Minnesota. And the wind chill, of course, is going to be a little bit cooler. The winds will be lighter by tomorrow morning, just about 5, 10 miles an hour. But that's enough where we're talking wind chills in the mid-30s below zero out west and probably teens below zero in southeastern Minnesota in the Twin Cities. And highs only in the low teens tomorrow, single digit highs in northeastern Minnesota. And it may stay below zero through the day in the Red River Valley. Oh, yes, but we get to warm up this weekend. Yeah, 20s are back tomorrow for southern Minnesota, teens to the north, and it looks as though the southern half of the state should be above freezing, mid-30s Sunday. We're going to have sunshine, too, tomorrow, Saturday, and I think most of Sunday, and close to 40 on Monday, which is actually going to kind of throw a wrench in the next storm system. Oh, great. I did I did know that you were going to talk about this. Just I know. I, I almost hate to bring this up. Are we talking about, what, ice and snow? Yeah, it could be all of the above and rain. It looks like in southern Minnesota, uh, including the Twin Cities, this will start as rain because of the warm temperatures. Could have an icy mixture between the Twin Cities and Duluth. This is all very fluid, of course, still. But it looks like heavy snow is what's going to set up in the northeastern part of the state, several inches or more uh, for Duluth and the North Shore. So it might be their turn and then turning over to some snow in the Twin Cities and southeastern Minnesota. And then there's another system maybe behind that for Wednesday. So it's going to be an active pattern still. Oh, but wait, there's more. Okay. Sven, thank you. I appreciate it. it. Really did a great job with this whole storm system over many days. Thank you for your work. You're very welcome, Kathy. Sven Sungard, our meteorologist. 
Tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and it has been a busy week in that part of the world. President Biden visited Poland and spoke to Ukrainians about his support for their country, just as Putin gave a speech in a very different political scene. Plus, China made announcements about their plans. Over the past year, NPR News reporter Tim Nelson has been checking in often with his old friend and colleague, Brian Bonner, who is there. Brian is a former journalist for the St. Paul Pioneer Press and the former editor of the Kyiv Post, Ukraine's premier English language newspaper. Tim talked with Brian earlier this morning about what's happening now. Hey, Brian, good to see you again. Uh, you know, it's been now an entire year since the Russian invasion. I am talking to you here in uh, Kiev, seeing the city out the window behind you. Uh, what's the mood out there just days after Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin have been trading vows to fight this out? Well, there's not a lot of celebration. People were happy to see Joe Biden. It was the first trip by an American president since George W. Bush. And, and you know, for that, Americans are, are very popular here, uh, as well as the military and financial aid. But people are also saying, hey, Joe, what about the F-16 fighters? What about the Attackums long-range missiles? What about the anti-ship missiles? What about, and we're, we're running low on ammo. How about some more ammunition? So Ukrainians are coming into the very first anniversary, hoping that there's not a second anniversary, but, as you know, uh, we're a long way from the end of this war. And I think the last time we talked, it was when Ukraine had liberated Kherson, the big southern Ukrainian provincial capital. And basically, since we talked then, the front lines have, haven't changed at all. We talked a little before about uh, your neighborhood there, even just out your window, you can see a, a destroyed uh, apartment building there. Uh, how much of your neighbors suffered this year? What, what does it look like around where you live? Mostly the neighborhood is pretty good and most of it's intact, but my neighborhood is a big target because it has the headquarters of the largest elect, uh, power company. It has the headquarters of the state trans electrical transmission operator. Energo. It has a state railway uh, all within a mile of my home. Talked a little bit about uh, expats leaving or, or people leaving, families leaving. Who's staying behind? Who's doing the fighting and who's doing the dying still? You talk about the, the front lines not changing. Who's going up to them at this point? Regular guys uh, and women too, but, but mostly guys. Uh, Ukraine doesn't talk about its losses very much, but the reliable estimates are perhaps as many as 100,000 dead. So there's casualties there, 100,000, 200,000 on the Russian side. And these are regular guys. There's no full list, but we have, you know, people who know people post when they lose a loved one. And these are a lot of people who weren't soldiers. They were just, you know, technicians or working in some other profession, but decided to, to take up arms. So I want to go back a little bit. Uh, you know, we saw President Biden uh, in Ukraine recently. He spoke in Poland yesterday. He vowed to stick with Ukraine for as long as it takes. Uh, he also pledged another $500 million in USAID. But, you know, we're hearing more and more about Congress being divided, about Republicans, most Republicans not supporting this level of aid to Ukraine again. Um, how are you? Ukrainians feeling about their U.S. allies. You know, there, I mean, there even seemed to be some daylight between Lindsey Graham and the administration on that request for advanced fighter jets last weekend. 
Ukrainians are watching it very closely. I mean, they are getting to know members of Congress and their votes very well. Uh, I was just at the Munich Security Conference in Germany. Huge delegation from the U.S. Congress, at least 50 members of Congress. Republicans Mitch McConnell and uh, Lindsey Graham were very visible there. And they're saying that the people in their party who want to cut aid don't represent the mainstream Republican Party. Ukrainians hope that's the case. I think that's the case. Mitch McConnell, in fact, said that the $113 billion, with a B, billion dollars that America has authorized uh, in military and financial aid since the start of the war represents 0.02% of America's GDP, gross domestic uh, product. If you take the Republicans at their word, the louder voices who want to cut off aid to Ukraine are on the far right and on the far left. And there's a big mainstream majority on both Democrats and Republicans that are for it. Well, Vladimir Putin talked yesterday, um, you know, sounded uh, very bellicose, was there meeting with uh, Chinese diplomats, has backed away from one of the last nuclear control treaties that Russia has with the United States. There are some worries on the American side about escalation in the light of that decision by Putin. But we didn't hear anything new from him in this speech. Uh, no new initiatives or how he thought the, the war might end. Is he just saber-rattling here or does he, has he run out of options? It was a two-hour rant. He is, if he believes what he says, he's really unhinged. And, you know, it was, you should read the English language transcript. It's really, uh, it's really amazing. He blamed the West for everything, including saying the West supports pedophilia. What's clear is that he doesn't think he's lost. He, he thinks he can win. And two things are really frightening. He's mobilizing the entire country, weapons production, ammunition production, psychologically throwing, trying to get the entire country behind this, putting it on a war footing, aggression abroad, repression at home. And the second thing is he is really... Uh, working on China to supply him with advanced weapons and a lot of weapons that China has been reluctant to do so, so far. That was my next question. You know, we saw those pictures of uh, him meeting with the head Chinese diplomat. There was some suggestion that China was going to make some sort of peace effort here. And then a warning from the Secretary of State in the United States that they shouldn't supply lethal aid to Russia. Where do they fit in this equation? You know, rhetorically and economically, they've been supportive of Russia and becoming a lot more aggressive, as we know, in America in terms of challenging America and the West. Yet at the same time, they're economically tied to the West. I mean, China is everybody's number one trade partner. If China is consistent, and I heard Wang Yi's speech at Munich with their values, they're always talking about respecting territorial integrity, sovereignty, non-interference in other nations. That should work to Ukraine's advantage in this new peace plan, If you know, whenever we see this. I'm worried, and I think people are mostly worried, that, that Russia, China sees that Russia is losing. And just as the United States says they won't let Ukraine lose. China, I think, doesn't want Russia to lose. And I think that's where the danger comes in, because if China starts supplying Russia with 
huge amounts of modern weapons, then this conflict is going to go into an unpredictable, unpredictable zone, very dangerous zone. And what about you? You've lived in a war zone on and off for a year now. Uh, what's next for you in the coming weeks? Oh, well, I'm just doing my job. I've been out of the country, for, in and out of the country four times since the war. Unfortunately, you know, the nation is quite fragmented now. Uh, the economy is, is really down. Uh, a lot of people don't have jobs, and that's, what, that's what's keeping a lot of people out of the country. People want to get this war over with this year. They, at the same time, they realize that they are completely very dependent on the West to give them the, the weapons and the money needed to end this war. And, you know, the other side, I think the the plea with China is that Vladimir Putin understands he can't win this war without, without stronger Chinese involvement. I digress from your question. I mean, things are fine. Spring is head. I'll be back to Minnesota in the summer and uh, at least a couple times. And... Hope to see everybody there, including you. Well, I think all of us join uh, the people of Ukraine hoping there isn't a second year of this war. We wish you well and hope you stay safe and warm there in Ukraine as uh, this conflict drags on. Love to see you again. Hope the best for you and all the people of Ukraine. Hey, thanks for uh, having me, Tim. And thanks to Minnesota Public Radio for staying interested. That was NPR reporter Tim Nelson speaking with Brian Bonner, a former St. Paul Pioneer Press reporter living in Ukraine. This is the song Light in the Darkness by the artist J.G. He's based in Duluth. You can find his music at soundcloud.com slash begreatjg. I know, I know, I seen you. I'm thankful that I seen you. I seen you the other day. I seen you right where I stay. I seen you, my brother say, he ain't noticed, but good Lord, I seen you. Oh boy, I seen you. I know, I know, I seen you. Happy like my people for the 44th president to see you at my residence in Eden Park. The evidence of wildlife gun toting right on the street. I'm on the phone with a girl that I probably won't meet. It's just a 20 minute walk, but I was hoods and beat. And it so happens that her cousins all know about me. Shit, I ain't messy, but my homie is. And the law states that if I can't get you, your homie gotta get the beers. 13 with the glare hot as the sun. JG's in Duluth. We're going to stay in northeastern Minnesota for our next segment. Of course, you know we're big fans of Minnesota history on this show. That's why we have the segment Minnesota Now and Then. See what I did there? Here's today's story. By February 1978, John Light had been sheriff of Cook County, which is in Minnesota's Arrowhead region, for long enough to have seen quite a lot. But then a caller from Lutzen said she had an escaped animal on the loose. A lion. And, well, John figured at that point <laughs> he had probably seen it all. Brian Larson is the editor of the Cook County News Herald. He's on the line. He was friends with John Light, who is not only Cook County's longtime lawman, but also the first African-American sheriff in Minnesota history. Brian Larson, it's always a pleasure. Welcome. Yeah, hi. John became sheriff in the early 1970s, which made some Minnesota history, obviously. Did he replace a retiring sheriff? He got... Um, so he had been a longtime bus driver and while he'd done every kind of job in the county, like most of us do, you know, log cabin building, logging, trapping, um, and 
he, he'd done all kinds of jobs, and he had been asked to become a deputy sheriff um, when they lost a deputy. And he was he did that for a year, and then he ran for sheriff, and he won with 99% of the vote. He was well-respected, to say the least. I did not know that the Light family has deep roots in Lutzen. They own the old Northern Lights Resort. Well, yeah. Yeah, they did. They came here. Um, they came here in the early. Let's see. I've got it sitting down here. Um, I would say, nineteen twenties. They were here. Nineteen thirteen, even. Yeah, that's when he came. Um, the dad came first, and the um, the Nelson family actually, you know, who owned Lutzen Resort started Lutzen Re- Resort and the Lutzen Ski Hill. They helped them out, and um, they just had a little teeny-weeny little shack they lived in, and they homesteaded it, the property, and just worked day and night and did really, you know, very well. So, so they were a I remarkable family. It sounds like they were. That's a really interesting story. So John uh, grows up in Lutzen and decides he's going to go into law enforcement. But just yep. kind of paint a picture for us. What was Cook County well, like in the 1970s? <laughs> well, so logging was still big, and commercial fishing was kind of on the downside, but still, there's still a lot of commercial fishermen. Um, it, and we had our tourist season, but we had it just like, it was basically June 15th to August 31st, um, which, you know, and now it's, I don't know, seven or eight months of tourist season. Um, we had a big Hedstrom's lumber mill, you know, it's just over a hundred years old and still going strong. They had well over a hundred employees back then. I think they have less than 40 now. It's partly automation. And I, so it was, it was way more of a blue collar town. There wasn't any, um, bed and breakfasts or anything like that. Um, um, so it, it it was just um, I don't know I guess a lot of bar fights <laughs> things like that the bar was the 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 the, the city owned bar was connected to the jail so they you didn't have to walk very far if you got in a fight to go <laughs> sit in a cell I did not know <laughs> just that just basically <laughs> yep <laughs> so John was dealing with some of that as as sheriff I mean oh, yeah. I, I'm I'm assuming he dealt with almost everything you could think of, of to have happened up there. He did. Well, you know, he had a staff of one and, you know, the county county is just huge. And so um, he built a staff through the years up to eight uh, law officers. But he was a sheriff that was um, he, he, he was a, he wasn't a political figure as much as he was working all the time. John was out there on all the calls. He worked day and night. He was. um he was just <laughs> he was just a very good guy and he, he always he he was you know big and strong and looked very imposing in his uh uh law officer's uniform but he was I... he was just very well like you know he he arrested his own brother so you know if you if you did something wrong John would very fairly pick you up and take you in and but not not in a mean way. Like one guy said, he got arrested. He said, "Well, 
I must have done something wrong, John, if you pick me up, because you don't arrest people who don't do things that are wrong. Wow. So, um, yeah. I'm, I'm betting it's safe to say the escape line is probably one of the better-known stories to come out of his time as sheriff. I, and I've heard this yep. story, but for folks who haven't heard it, can you just succinctly tell us about it? Yeah, Dick Ma had a lion. Um, he was a fellow who was into lots of different things, um, interesting man in his own right. And at some point in time, the lion got a little bit too big to handle. And Dick's wife called John up and said the lion had gotten away and she needed it disposed. So John and uh, Dick Door deputy and one other fellow went up, up to the house that was in the yard and they each shot and they they killed the lion. But it was, uh, yeah, you don't want a lion running around. You know, no, no, not Lutzen. So, not anywhere, actually, not up there. <laughs> really, no, exactly. not anywhere. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have enough animals <laughs> running around that are, could be problematic, but that would be problematic. So Yes, true. Yeah. I can only imagine what John said about that, too. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, he had lots of interesting things going on. So, um, he, like I said, he was out there in the field, always working. And he was also... He did lots of welfare checks on people, on older people. He was always, he really cared about the public. That's why he kept winning. He, um, in his last year, he was 67 and for the election. He didn't campaign, and he got beat. And he just said, well, I just figured people understood, you know, that I was out there working all the time. Um, he'd been chair for 20 years at that point, so... Um, but he would have he would have made a great share for four more years. I can tell you that right now. So you know, I wish I would have met him, and I I never had the opportunity. When did he pass away? Oh, I got I got to look that up now. That was probably I've got a whole I've got a, like a book. I've written stories because about John, but you know they're I've written. He was older. I mean, he was stories, older when so. he passed away. I think he was near ninety, yep. from what I understand. Yep. Yeah, he he was well. Let's see. We're going to get to the end here. I've got that's that's okay. We like got about a minute, but it's okay. Oh, I'm Say, sorry. Um, yeah. That's so don't worry about it. It's all right. It's all right. Um, I believe he was eighty nine, ninety when he died. Um, when you yep. think about John Light, what word comes to mind? Integrity. Yeah, just integrity and and honesty, just fair and. Tough, but fair. Um, I think he was just like the epitome of a sheriff. I don't think I don't think you could get to be a better sheriff than John. So, um, yeah, he had to deal with the Rainbow family gathering here too. Over ten thousand people showed up in the forest. That was pretty wild and crazy time. Uh, that was nineteen ninety. Oh, Brian, yeah, the stories. There are tons oh, of stories. My- of- Gosh, I'm telling you. All right. I wish I had more time with you. I appreciate your time and the stories about John Light. Thank you so much. Yeah, he died in 210, by the way. He was 82. 2010. All right. Yep. Thank you. Yep. I appreciate well, thank you, that. Kathy. Take yeah, care, take Brian. Care. Yep. Brian take Larson care. is the. Brian Larson is the editor of the Cook County News Herald, which, of course, is in Cook County, Grand Marais area, where John Light was sheriff for more than 20 years. Programming supported by Ebenezer. Since 1917, Ebenezer has been dedicated to serving as Minnesota's trusted source for senior living and care with vibrant choices for independent and assisted living, memory care, and adult day services. EbenezerCares.org. Say so about this time, many of the roads in southwestern and south-central Minnesota 
are open. There were no travel advisories posted. Some of the highways around Worthington and I-90 were closed. We're going to talk to a truck stop owner about what's going on out there in just a couple of minutes. First, a look at the news. Emily Bright's with us right now. Emily? Hi, Kathy. As you said, light snow will taper off across the state over the next few hours, though it will linger longer in the northeast. Looking across the U.S., winter weather shut down much of Portland, Oregon, after the city experienced its second snowiest day in history. And paralyzed travel from parts of the Pacific coast across to the northern plains. The nearly 11 inches of snow that fell in Portland stalled traffic during the Wednesday evening rush and trapped some drivers on freeway. Federal safety investigators have released a preliminary report on the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment and toxic chemical release. The National Transportation Safety Board says the train's crew did not receive a critical warning about an overheated axle until just before dozens of cars went off the tracks. The engineer slowed and stopped the train after getting a, quote, critical audible alarm message. The crew then saw fire and smoke and alerted a dispatch of a possible derailment. The reports released today came as Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg made his first visit to East Palestine. The February 3rd derailment led to evacuations and fears of contamination after a controlled burn of toxic chemicals aimed at preventing an explosion. R. Kelly is set to learn whether he will spend the rest of his life in prison when a federal judge sentences him on convictions for child pornography and enticement of minors for sex. Prosecutors have asked the judge overseeing today's sentencing hearing in Chicago to order him to serve a 25-year sentence only after he completes a 30-year term imposed last year in New York for racketeering and sex trafficking. That would make the 56-year-old Grammy Award winner eligible for release in 2066, a year shy of his 100th birthday. The defense wants a sentence of around 10 years served concurrently. We'll have more news at 1 on NPR News. Thank you, Emily. On days like today, when many folks are staying out of the snow, truck stops are one of the few places you can expect to be open. Tyler Freiberg operates five truck stops and gas stations in the Mankato area. He's on the line right now. Hey, Tyler, where are you exactly? Oh, right now I'm in uh, our main Cato travel center our newest location that's where i'm sitting right now all right hey thanks for joining us well i'm i'm betting it's been busy for you today and certainly yesterday in this storm yeah uh, <laughs> mostly preparing for what's going to come and preparing to to make a safe haven for people has it been pretty busy um yes and no um you know, a couple of couple of our truck stops. You know, they uh, we got it all cleared out, and we have to stay on top of it every couple hours. But uh, the, the a lot of the drivers um, have parked and got, got a safe spot to be, <clears throat> and they park there because they know they can, you know, go to the bathroom and take a shower and do laundry. We've got a restaurant, um, so they can get some decent food. Um, but it, I think it it slowed so many people down. Um, like across the street, there's Johnson Outdoors and Walmart Distribution Center. And those guys even just closed down, you know, just they just shut, slowed things down uh, coming into town. So we haven't had exactly overflow parking by any means, but um, they have they have filled up a lot and get a safe spot to stay and, and wait to, for their next instructions. 
Ah, because I, I was noticing on the news last night that a lot of the truckers you know, obviously got off the road and they were trying to find a place to kind of hunker down and ride it out. So it sounds like your parking lot was one of those places. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lot safer spot than some go on an off-ramp or something like that. And it's better to have them in a, in a safe spot. And, and we take pretty good care of them, get it, all, get it pretty lit up, and, and they've got good food to, um, so, to be comfortable. What were- yeah, it, 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 I bet it is. It's much more comfortable, as you say, than being on the side of the road. Um, did you see any any hear, hear about anything happening in your neck of the woods from uh, any of the plow drivers, any of the truckers, uh, people getting stuck, uh, accidents, that kind of thing? No, uh, I think I think they did a pretty good job of warning people of what's coming uh, this time. I mean, I, I know they a lot of a lot of school closures, a lot of a lot of work closures. I think it got a lot of people out of the off the streets, off the roads. Um, I think they did a pretty good job at that. Um, so, you know, you can only do so much, but just on my way into town, uh, I mean, I live in town, but I drove by a parking lot. Somebody was trying to get into a parking lot that wasn't, that wasn't plowed. So I just got out and helped them get scoop out and push them out. But little things like that, nothing, nothing too major, but they're also traffic's down <laughs> a big, big amount this morning. It's, it's really, really picked up now with, with the sun coming out and the, and the roads are starting to get cleared off. It's it's really starting to get things moving again. Yeah, I just got off the phone before I got on the air here with a person from MnDOT who says all the uh, road restrictions, all the no travel advisories have been lifted as of about, uh, well, 1230 here this afternoon. So <laughs> I think you're, you're probably going to get pretty busy here. Um, so you opened the Mankato Travel Center just about a year ago. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Just, just, just a year ago, there was a need in this town on, on the east side of Mankato. There was a lot of, a lot of truck traffic parking on streets and and side roads and, um, and we're in the business. So we were able to work with, uh, work with the city and get something, get something going and hoping, you know, luckily enough, we got everything approved and um, provide a place for these people to be. I'm assuming this is the biggest term that you've been through so far. Um, you know, <laughs> there was there was a couple in December that were pretty big here. Um, That's true. <laughs> and uh, last year, you know, right when we were opening up, we got we got hit with a pretty good storm. Um, this is the most publicized one, I think. Um, you know, but snow wise, I'm I'm very happy the wind hasn't uh, picked up like they said it was, and mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a that's a blessing. <laughs> Before you go, how much snow do you think you got down there? Uh, I think we got over 12 inches, about right around there. Um, you know, somebody may argue with me about that, but I think it's right around that 12 inches mark. It could be a little bit more, could be a little less, depending on where you are and, and how the wind affected you. Well, I tell you what, um, I know you were, you've been busy. I'm sure it was interesting to kind of watch everything unfold. I uh, appreciate what you've done for your trucking friends, and thanks for joining us here today. Yes, I appreciate you having me on. If you guys ever... Want any other information? Let us know. I'm available. I will. Thank you much. Tyler, right, take care you. of yourself. Thank you. you Bye-bye. Bye. Tyler Freiberg is the owner of Freiberg Petroleum Sales. He operates several gas stations and truck stops in the Mankato area. Hey, let me ask you something. Has someone ever taken you by surprise by doing something kind that made your day a little easier? Maybe your life a little fuller? We have a new series, Thank You, Stranger. It looks at those special people and their impact. First up, a tribute to strangers on the bus from a woman who has spent many hours on the road. NPR producer Ellen Finn talked with her. 
Denise moved around a lot as a child. She had a difficult relationship with her family and ended up setting out on her own as a teenager in Chicago. There, she had a son, Jeffrey, and soon had to move again due to safety issues. On March 15th, 81, I took my son, Jeffrey, a grocery bag full of his clothes, pretended I was going to the laundromat, got on a Greyhound bus. I remember standing in that bus station. The three next buses leaving were to San Francisco, New Orleans, and Minneapolis. And Minneapolis was the only place I had any familiarity with. So I got on the bus, and after I paid my ticket, I only had $16, didn't know what I was going to do, made it up here, Uh, got after several months, ended up getting an apartment, got my GED, finally got into subsidized housing at Sherman Forbes there on Grand and 7, and started going to Lakewood. Lakewood State Junior College was the only community college Denise could find on a bus line for her apartment in St. Paul. It's now called Century College. It was her chance to build a new life in St. Paul. But first, Denise had to get her son, Jeffrey, to daycare. It was such an ordeal every day. So I'd get on that bus, and it was always the same bus driver. And he was just always so nice and friendly. Then one day, the bus driver said, you know, Denise, I know you're going to Lakewood. Why do you always get off the bus here? And I said, well, you know, I have to walk up a block and drop my son off at daycare and then wait for the next bus. And the next day, he didn't say a word. He pulled up right in front of the daycare and said, you run a man, I'll wait. That was just so gracious and kind. He did that for months until somebody complained and he had to stop. And I understand them complaining. I'm sure it was an inconvenience to them. But he was genuinely filled with sorrow when he told me he couldn't do it anymore. Jeffrey and I would usually get in the front row there right behind the disabled section. And, you know, the bus driver would just chat with me. And then one day he introduced me to Jesse. And Jesse, oh, he must have been mid-80s. He was such a sweet man. He started looking forward to seeing me and Jeffrey. I think Jeffrey more, actually. And he started bringing them like just little trinkets that he'd buy from Walgreens. We were kind of like our own little club, the bus driver, Jesse and me. Jesse was worried about me oversleeping because I was young. So he said, can I have your phone number so I can call you and make sure you're awake? So of course I said yes and I gave him my number and he started calling me every single morning to wake me up. Now I rarely rarely overslept. I still don't oversleep. But it was just so sweet. And it made him feel so important to do. So every morning, Jesse would greet me on the bus with a big smile and talk to Jeffrey. And I had him over for um, Easter one year. And he was just so, he was just such a great guy. And then like a week went by and Jesse hadn't called me and he hadn't been on the bus. And all the regulars were talking about it. So I called the police to do a welfare check. And the cop called me back a few hours later. And he said, I'm really sorry to tell you. But Jesse died. And I said, oh, no, what happened? And he said he was on the bus and he had a heart attack. So Jesse 
this is what he did all day in like that maybe year of knowing Jesse. He would ride the bus all day long. And he had like his little route and what bus he'd take. He was very regular about it. And so I know he had a friend on that bus when he died. I just know he did. Why do you think you remember that story so well, Denise? I think a lot of it has to do because of my experiences in Chicago. I was pretty mistrustful of men. And just the bus driver, I wish I could remember his name. And Jesse just stood out as the first men that I felt really safe with. And I also think because of those two, I really make an effort to be kind to other people, just even in small ways. You know, you can kind of tell when somebody's having a bad day. And sometimes just, you know, a smile or, hey, how are you or whatever, just so they feel seen, I think is really important. Yeah. I agree. Hey, one last question for you. If you were to talk, let's just say, to that bus driver now, if you were to run into him somehow, if he was still around, what what would you say to him? I would just say you have no clue how much you helped me. It was so cold, and I would wait out there in the cold, and just that little thing saved me a half an hour every day. Mm Mm-hmm. And what would you say to your friend on the bus? Oh, Jesse? Yeah. I would just tell him, you know, I really loved him. And he was so important to me. And Jeffrey. That was Denise, who does not want us to use her last name, in our first episode of Thank You, Stranger, a series about people helping people in unexpected ways. To see a picture of Denise, her son Jeffrey, and their friend Jesse, go to our website, mprnews.org. And if you've got a story about someone unexpectedly helping you out, let us know. You can email us at minnesotanow at mpr.org. That story, by the way, was produced by Ellen Finn, Elena Elder, and Melissa Townsend. Music is by St. Paul's Dan Luke. Well, it's Thursday, and on Minnesota Now, that means it's time for sports. We've got our two favorite sports guys here to round up what's happening this week. Wally Langfellow is the creator of Minnesota Score magazine, the co-host of 10,000 Takes Sports Show. Eric Nelson is the other co-host of that show and the Vikings reporter for CBS Sports Eye on Football Show. Hey, you guys. How are you? Uh, safe and indoors. Hey, Kathy. Ha- happy Snowmageddon. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that uh, from both of you guys. So I really, really wanted to watch the girls' state high school hockey tournament yesterday. The quarterfinal Class A games, couldn't find it on TV. Uh, and I I was so disappointed because I really wanted to see what was going on. They're still, they're still, they still held the tournament, even though the snowstorm was uh, pretty active at that time. Uh, Wally, tell us how the tournament is going. Well, we've got the four semifinalists set up for Class A, and that will continue tomorrow. Um, Right now, uh, games are going on in Class AA. Rosemont is playing second-seeded Andover, and then um, coming up here roughly about a half hour or so, Lakeville North will take on third-seeded Edina. Top-seeded Minnetonka plays tonight. I did it. I had a chance to do... Minnetonka versus Edina during the regular season on Bally Sports North. And I'll tell you something, Kathy, I hadn't done a girls hockey game um, on TV or radio for about eight, 10 years. The quality of play is off the charts. I mean, these Mm -hmm. girls can really play the skating, 
um, the stick handling, they're just really good. So if you haven't had a chance, um, obviously it's not on television today. It, it, it's the TV broadcasts start tomorrow for the girls state tournament and we'll be on the semifinals tomorrow and then the championships on Saturday. But I, I think the only way you can get it today is streaming and you do have to pay for that. So just a forewarning if you want to stream it and watch it on your laptop or phone or whatever, but good okay. stuff. And, and unfortunate, like you say, the snow has kept a lot of people away from the arena. Mm. So let's talk about pro hockey here, Eric, uh, today or tonight, I should say the wild is at Columbus. Uh, yes, indeed. In fact, the Wild got out of the Twin Cities just in time. It's it's like 60s and 70s in central Ohio, so uh, Minnesota enjoying a, a bit of a heat wave. But they'll be inside tonight at the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets Arena, and the Wild have won three straight. They had a very solid effort against Los Angeles on Tuesday. The Kings were sizzling. They'd come in with a four-game winning streak, and they've been scoring a lot of goals, but Minnesota won it. Two to one, almost had a shutout against Los Angeles. So where the Wild are now, 67 points in the uh, Central Division of the Western Conference in the NHL. They're tied with Colorado, but they have played two more games than the Avalanche. The Blue Jackets have 41 points. That's the lowest amount in the NHL along with Anaheim. So they're a bottom feeder. And the challenge for Minnesota tonight is they're going to be in a building that's probably half empty. There's not going to be a lot of energy or buzz. They're going to have to create their own emotion and their own juice because you don't want to lose to a team like Columbus coming off a big win over L.A. And then Tomorrow night, they go to Toronto, which is the self-proclaimed center of the hockey universe. And the Maple Leafs are very good. They have Austin Matthews, one of the top players in the NHL. So it's going to be uh, two very different settings, Columbus and Toronto. But I will say this, Kathy, Philippe Gustafson, one of Minnesota's goalies, is playing outstanding in the Nets, and he was very good against the Kings. Say, can I ask you guys something about the Minnesota Sports and Events Group? First, yes. I want to know who, who is that group? What are they trying to do to get more big events here to the Twin Cities? Well, it's a nonprofit. It's a fledgling nonprofit. I guess that's the terminology that was given to them in, in the uh, article that ran in the Star Trib earlier this week. So what basically what they do is they try to attract big events. You know, the Super Bowl, Final Four, um, the NCAA swimming events, those type of things coming to the Twin Cities. And obviously there's been some success and Minnesota has, you know, a great reputation when hosting these events, but I think they're starting to run into some roadblocks and those are financial that uh, they're looking now to get paid. These events are, they want money up front and hmm. uh, <laughs> right now. So this, this commission, this Minnesota sports and events commission or group, whatever they are says that they need and want, some of that stimulus money. They want some government money to help bring in these events. So the final four, the men's basket NCAA final four from 2027 through 2030 were awarded to four different cities, Detroit, Las Vegas, Indianapolis, and Arlington, Texas, which is of course is the Dallas Metro. Um, all of those places ponied up money to bring in the final four. So Minnesota will not get the final four at least until 2031. And then when the bidding for those starts again, so these are cities and States that are willing to put money into it. Are we willing to do that in Minnesota becomes the question. Uh, they want $50 million to be able to compete. 
I'm not so sure that the, the Minnesota taxpayer wants to have any part of that. Well, Eric, wouldn't this be, wouldn't this happen um, almost organically if we had uh, sports teams that won? <laughs> exactly, Kathy. the question. I mean, <laughs> that, that, is, that is such a novel proposal. Yeah. Let, let's, <laughs> let me give you some examples. First of all, we don't have championship caliber teams here in Minnesota. There has not been a, a major men's team competing for a title since 91 let alone win one that would be the twins now i know the minnesota lynx won four wmba championships and kudos to the lynx but the the male sports uh, folks in this market haven't done very well so you, you look around the map you know if the timberwolves held up their end of the bargain maybe the nba finals would be here someday the wild have never been in the stanley cup finals uh, the Twins could theoretically bring the World Series back here. Look at Houston. The Astros have been in the World Series four times since 2017. That's nothing that they were awarded. They earned it. The Golden State Warriors have been in the NBA Finals six times since 2015. So I'm going to throw the gauntlet down. Instead of uh, us ponying up tax money to get these marquee events in the Twin Cities, how about the local teams actually winning and getting to championship caliber events. There you go. Good luck. Novel thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say, before you go, Mr. Langfellow, uh, speaking of uh, pro teams like the Twins, hey, spring training. Yeah, it's underway. Um, full squad workouts began earlier this week. And believe it or not, we are two days away from the Twins playing their first Grapefruit League games. They'll have a split squad games against Baltimore and Tampa Bay in Florida. Uh, the Twins have been busy again on the free agent market. They picked up another um, infielder, Donovan Solano, who is he was a Silver Slugger Award winner back in 2020. Um, so they keep adding pieces. And I think in general, the Twins, Twins fans, and some of the folks that we've talked to are very optimistic about what the Minnesota Twins could do this year. We shall see. Obviously, they got to stay out of injury trouble and all kinds of other things. But I think it's it's a positive, and why not? They're in Florida, and it's warm down there. Let's just think baseball anyway. Uh, why not? Now, you're going to be yeah. busy with the girls' high school hockey tournament. Is that right, Wally? Uh, yeah, well, well, we'll have some coverage of the state hockey tournament, and then you know, then things ramp up for us because then the boys is shortly after that and then boy, girls and boys basketball after that. So I've got state tournament uh, fever coming up here in the next several <laughs> days and weeks. It's from now until the end of March, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks much. Eric, have a good weekend. Yeah, same to you, Kathy. Thanks, Thanks Kathy. Wally Langfellow, Eric Nelson, Wally is the creator of Minnesota Square Magazine and the co-host of 10,000 Takes Sports Talk Show. Eric Nelson's the other co-host. He's also the Vikings reporter for CBS Sports Eye on Football Show. That's it. That's it for Minnesota Now this week. It's been quite a week. Our senior producer, Melissa Townsend. Producers, Alan Finn, Gretchen Brown, Britt Emmett, and Alanda, Alana Elder. Thank you so much. Randy Johnson's been our TD today. Have a good day. This is NPR News 91.1 KNOW Minneapolis, St. Paul. By the way, special thanks to our friends at True Stone Financial, a full-service credit union working to improve the financial well-being of its neighbors since 1939, serving individuals and businesses at 23 locations and online at truestone.org. Equal housing opportunity insured by NCUA. Is it still snowing? 
Yeah, it is. Okay, it's 14 degrees with some residual snowflakes out there. The South Metro got pounded by snow. That was pretty impressive. Some of those snowfall totals coming out of the South Metro, about 19 inches of snow. And it's going to end. It will. Much colder tonight behind the system. The overnight low, 8 below. Kind of chilly tomorrow, partly sunny and 11 above. Saturday, mid-20s. Sunday, lower 30s. And then freezing rain and snow and rain on Monday. It's 1 o'clock.